Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Before we go any further, I want to welcome everybody who's at all of our campuses, Castle Rock, Issaquah, Duval, and, and our online church. And I know sometimes uh, you're at one of these campuses or you're at the Redmond campus and you wonder, are there really other campuses? No, there really are other campuses. We want to make sure everybody feels welcome. Really cool story. Last weekend online, did you know we have volunteers who work in online church? They volunteer in online church, and uh, somebody gave their life to Christ online last weekend. And so that's pretty amazing. So I want you to know, if you have any doubt about what our church is doing, we're at Redmond, Duval, Castle Rock, Issaquah, and online. We love you guys. It's always an honor uh, to be with you. My name is Carlos Ortiz, and uh, I'm our senior leader here, and I get to partner with Ben and, and helping lead our church. And, and I'm new to the area. Uh, I've been here all of about five weeks now. And uh, my kids, my wife, they move here in a few weeks from Texas. And, uh, you know, when we first made the decision, uh, my kids were like, oh, my gosh, we've always thought Seattle area is like a really cool place to live. And they're so excited. Well, a couple months have gone by, and now they're like, we don't even have a father anymore. And uh, is this really going to happen? And they're having all these doubts and fears. And my wife and I were talking the other night about this, and she goes, honey, why are our kids doubting this? Like, we've prayed about it, we know. And, and here's, here's what I love about this. In raising five kids and a couple of teenagers, I told my wife, it's good that they have doubts. Uh, nothing is ever smooth. And we don't ever want to be those parents who raise up people, raise kids who think that everything's just going to go perfect for them. We want them to understand, you have to wrestle with life, and you're going to have doubts and fears, and you bring them before the Lord, and so our kids are praying through that, and, and I wish they were perfect. They're not. Uh, they're just like their dad, because uh, if they were like their mom, they'd be saints. But, you know, here, here's what they're doing. They're, they're engaging their doubt with this process. And at the end of the day, they're texting me saying, Dad, it's going to be great. We're excited about being at Timberlake. We're excited about living in the area. But as we talk about the big stuff, as we talk about the questions that really impact us, as Pastor Ben has walked us through heaven and hell and God's word and reaching our friends and evangelism, it was my turn, I thought, what is a big issue? Like, what's a big thing that we can wrestle with in all of 20 minutes, right, of a message? And, and as I was praying through it, I thought about this one passage or this one item that really hits home for me in the middle of my family working through some things and this walking obedience to God. And that is this, what to do with doubt. What do we do when we have doubts? What do we do when we're not sure what the next step is? What do we do when something is crippling us and we don't know the next step? And that's what we're gonna dive into here. And we're gonna go right to scripture to kind of set the tone for us as we dive into the message. So here we go, James chapter one, verse two through eight. It's a long passage, Follow along with me, and you have your notes right in front of you as well. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, 
you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is a double-minded, is double-minded and unstable in all they do. What happens with doubt is sometimes it can cripple us. And it causes us to live in this double-minded way, whether it's at work, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in your walk with God. And that's what we're going to focus on this weekend is our walk with God. Doubt can really cripple us if we're not careful. So let's get a working rubric for our conversation this weekend, okay? So what do we know about doubt? What can we agree on? Number one, it's important to have an awareness of the source of our doubt. If you're already taking notes, I want you to write that down. An awareness of the source of our doubt. Some of us have questions because how come bad things happen to good people? Or how is it that, that my niece or my nephew or my son or my daughter or my friend at work, they have a three-year-old who's sick with cancer. I don't understand why this happens. And, and, and if, if God is such a good God, why is there evil in the world? And we have all these questions and, and things that can bring doubt into our lives. And we have to ask ourselves, what is the trial you're facing or I'm facing in light of James chapter 1, verse 2? When we read, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. What is the trial that is causing you to have doubt? What is the trial I'm facing that causes me to have doubt? We have to have an awareness. What is the source of my question? So that's number one. Number two, your faith being tested is normal. Your faith and what you think you know is tested, and that's a normal part of a growing relationship in Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of us in the room may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and so we're trying to figure out all the answers before we ever commit to anything. I get it. Totally get it. But I want you to know that even when you commit, and I'll say that in faith, even when you commit to relationship with Jesus Christ, there are going to be questions. There are going to be questions that come up, just like anything in life. I just told you that, that I've moved up before my family moves up, and, and my daughter, being a normal 14-year-old girl, she, she pulled my wife aside the other day, and she says, hey, um, you know, we live in a crazy world, Mom, and do you really trust Dad in Seattle by himself? And my wife looked at her like, what? She goes, we know I have this friend, and her dad, he was gone for a while. Now they're not married anymore. They got divorced. I mean, how do we know it's not going to happen to you? And my wife called me, and she was like, are you okay in Seattle? <laughs> yeah, I miss you. I can't wait for you to be here. Why? Because there are doubts that can creep in, even if it's from your 14-year-old. And if you've ever had a 14-year-old, they cause you to doubt a lot of things. But it's normal. It's normal for your faith to be tested. Uh, how about this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Leave that up real quick. To will and to act. 
Our doubt should not cripple us. Our doubts, our fears, our questions, our worries should cause us to take some sort of action. You know, a few weeks ago, we did a Bible 101. And over 50 people filled the room from little kids to people probably in their 60s or 70s because there are questions about the Bible. And I didn't look at a 60-year-old in the room and say, oh my gosh, how do you not know these answers? No, because you have questions. What are you doing with the doubt? What is the action? Because God's will wants to prevail, but he also wants us to act on the doubt and on our questions. See, this is more of a when you're going to be tested and not if you're going to be tested. It's going to be tested. And today you might have a doubt in the room and just know you'll go through a season of doubt and your faith will kick in and God will move you forward and you come into the room, you're full of faith, just know, be ready, there will be a season where you question things and have doubt. And it's okay. Because we are finite beings. We're not infinite. And as smart as a lot of us are, Sometimes we outsmart ourselves. And God understands that. Number three, perseverance is a building of faith. It's a building of faith. There's a doctor, Dr. Tim Elmore, sociologist, uh, works with a lot of teenagers and young adults. And he has a book called Artificial Maturity. And what happens is we raise up our students to have everything they need, and they go to these great schools, and they get into the right college, and they do everything right. And he quoted an article from the New York Times, I think it was last September, that said this, the number one demographic that's struggling in the workforce are students who had it perfect in junior high and high school and college. They got to the right soccer club, they got to the college they wanted to, they got in the fraternity and sorority, they graduate from college, and they go in the real world, and nobody gives a care. And you probably work with people like that. And we've had this perfect life, and you go out into a world that's imperfect, that can just sometimes chew us up and spit us out. So how do we build perseverance, a grit about us, as we go into a world with our spiritual lives? C.S. Lewis says this, God knows our situation. He will not judge us as if we had no difficulties to overcome. What matters is the sincerity and perseverance of our will to overcome. Uh, you know, some of you ever watched that movie years ago? It's, it's, I'm dating myself, right? But I'm in my 40s. That's fine. I actually like being in my 40s. But The Runaway Bride. And she would just build this relationship with every guy. And then right when it came to the altar, she second-guessed herself. She built her whole life to adjust to every guy she liked. And finally, she would just give up and run away. And how many times do we do that with the issues of life? And how many times do we do that in our walk with God? That we build it up and we get in a grow group and we go to Bible study in class. But when it comes to the really difficult things in life, we leave God at the altar. Because we don't know how to wrestle with the doubt. Number four, maturity is the goal. Write that down. Maturity is the goal. Now you might be thinking, well, listen, I'm 40 years old. I'm 50 years old. I've raised my family. My kids are in college. I've got enough saved up for retirement. You're talking to somebody who's already mature. Really? Let me ask your wife about that. Because my wife has a working thesis that men do not outgrow junior high. I don't even know if I got to junior high emotionally, to be honest with you. I think I'm stuck in fifth grade. 
You know how she, she, she came up with that? Because here I am, and, and my last church, and I'm leading this church, and there are thousands of people, and I'm a teaching pastor, but my best friend comes over, and we try to figure out who's going to wrestle the other one to the ground and pin him to the ground. And my kids are like, you're so weird, Dad. I can't help it. I'm a kid at heart. See, maturity is not about the money you have, and it's not about your status. Maturity, biblically, is this, lacking nothing. Now, how many of us can say that? That we lack nothing emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally. That spiritually to lack nothing means maturity. So what do we know about doubt? We have to know the source. We have to understand our faith is going to be tested. That perseverance is a building of our faith, not a deconstruction of our faith. And the maturity is the goal. So the next question. So what's our next right step when it comes to doubt? We're going to cover three things, and we're going, to, we're going to do something together this week, and I'm pretty excited about. Number one, short of maturity, we ask for help. We ask for help. So whether you're watching online, or you're at a campus, or you're in the room, I want you to be honest. How many of you struggle with asking for help? Raise your hand. Go. Yeah. Yeah. If the person actually did not raise their hand, you know them, nudge them. It just proves that they have pride issues. Right? We're supposed to ask for help. Why? Because God gives generously without finding fault. God, God is a father. He wants us to ask questions because it keeps him involved in our process. For those of you, those of you who've already raised children, maybe you're in the middle of having teenagers. There are times I cannot, my, my, cannot believe the decisions my kids made. Like I had to write a check last week, a check, not like online pay it, a check for my daughter who lost a book, thirty-seven dollars, I think it was. I said, "Babe, when did you lose this book?" Oh, I don't know. Well, why is it thirty-seven dollars? Well, because it's the book and then all the fines. Why am I paying it now? Because it was the last straw, so now you got to pay it. I didn't even know there was a first straw. I could have saved myself $22 of fines, but now you're telling me I'm, I would have paid for the book. But now I'm paying for the book and the fines because of my daughter's lack of asking for help. And we always pay more of a premium, and we pay a social, we pay an emotional, and we can pay a spiritual tax when we don't ask for help when God is readily available Luke chapter 15 is three parables back to back and Jesus is teaching about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son and he's teaching to the disciples and he's teaching to the Pharisees and the story of the son is this it's it's this father whose son comes to him as a young man who says dad I want my inheritance now and why the dad did this I have no idea but he gave him everything that was his inheritance his half and there was two brothers, and he took his half, and he goes away to another country far away, and he, uh, he, he just wastes it all. And he thinks he's mature because he doesn't need his father anymore. So he's by himself, and when the money runs out, the friends run out, the place to stay runs out, everything runs out. And he finds himself in a pig farm, eating with the pigs. And he has this question to himself, why am I here? How did I get myself here when I could go back home and at least serve in my dad's farm and eat better than the pigs? 
He doubted himself. So what does he do? Instead of staying there in his pride, he humbles himself and he goes and he asks for help from his father. His dad welcomes him back, throws a huge party because the lost son comes home and he asks for help. But the son who stayed back, the son who stayed in the home, he was prideful. And he couldn't see what was right in front of him. See, sometimes doubt is good for us in our spiritual walk because it reminds us how much we truly do need God in the everyday of our lives. So number one, short of maturity, we ask for help. Number two, our ask for help is the beginning of letting go of doubt. Why is that? When you ask for help, you have to humble yourself. All of us prideful people in the room, maybe you've built a company. Maybe you're a boss of hundreds of people. Maybe you're this, maybe you're that. To actually ask for help brings a level of humility, and it helps us to let go of doubt when we're humble. It helps us to see clearly. It's also a reality check of having the intentions of truly letting go. Listen, I'm telling you, when you're on Facebook, just keep scrolling. When, that, when you want to write that comment to that friend who's an idiot, just don't do it. Why? Because they really have no intentions of really changing their mind. And what you're going to do is you're just going to put gas on the fire, and then you're going to be arguing, and then more people are going to get involved, and now you're not even a Christian. Or maybe nobody wants to have a relationship with you because you engaged a process where nobody really wanted to get better. And when it comes to our walk with God, when we ask for help, it's a reality check of do we really want to get better. One more quote from C.S. Lewis who I really love. We all want progress, but if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive. What does that mean? It means when you're arguing with your wife about directions, stop the first time. Turn around and you'll get there faster. But you keep arguing. I don't need my phone. I don't need my phone. I know how to get there. Really? You get lost in a parking lot. And you're going to find your way to the other side of the city? No. Just turn around. Because if we will humble ourselves, ask for help, and turn around, we get to the destination we want to get to faster. And our pride costs us in these situations. So number one, we ask for help. Number two, we begin to let go of doubt because we ask for help. But number three, we retire the habits of instability we've created. Retire the habits of instability we've created. Notice none of this is, hey, go find the answer and then you'll be fine. No, it's a, it's a posture of our heart and our life in the midst of having doubts and questions. It's not about giving you the answer. It's about the process of discovering God through the journey of our doubts. James chapter 1, verse 8. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. When I gave my life to Christ, um, I was 19 years old. I was a sophomore in college. Now, I grew up in a pastor's home. I grew up in church, but I never made a profession of faith. When I was five years old, a lady in our, in our kids' class was like, you're the pastor's son. Do we, have you ever accepted Jesus? And at five years old, I said, no. 
And she got mad. Do you want to accept Jesus in your heart? No, I don't. Then I was 10 or 11 in junior high. Would you want to receive Jesus in your heart? No. But your dad's the pastor here. What does that have to do with anything? I was just a hard-headed kid. Then in high school, same thing. And finally, God got a hold of my heart in college. And I start trying to grow in Christ. And for me, the chapter that changed my life was James chapter 1. Because I grew up and was familiar with spiritual things, but I really didn't know the God of my salvation. So put that back up, James chapter 1, verse 8, if you don't mind. Sorry, go back, go back one. No? Okay. No? James, I'll read it. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So here I was, a young Christian, really wanting to grow in Christ, but I was unstable because I had just stopped partying, I had just stopped sleeping around, I had just stopped drinking, I was an alcoholic since the time I was 12 years old, had all sorts of physical issues, I was a drug addict, and here I am trying to serve God, and they're telling me I'm a new creation, but just last month, look what I was doing, and I was unstable, and this chapter helped me to begin to let go of my doubts and embrace the faith that God had for me. And then four verses later, James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man or woman who perseveres in a trial because he or she has stood the test. Let me tell you something about doubt. Doubt does not disqualify you. Doubt does not disqualify you. It's if we let our doubt linger and get to a place where it turns to disbelief. But having questions... Wondering if this whole thing is real? You should do that. It's a very normal thing. It's part of the process of growing in Christ. I'm going to tell one more story from Matthew chapter 28. And uh, Matthew 28 is a really important chapter. Uh, if you don't know this, this terminology, the, what we call the Great Commission comes out of that. And the Great Commission is where Jesus gives some instruction. And uh, it's like his last commissioning. It's like when somebody graduates from high school, we commission them to go to college. And they graduate from college, and we commission them to go into the workforce. And then when you get hired at a job, we commission you, and you go to onboarding, and now you start a job. And here we find Jesus in Matthew 28. He's starting this commissioning process. And it's really important. And not because he gives this final decision of what you're supposed to do with your life. It's because of the context of what's happening when he gives the commission to go into all the world and tell everybody about him. And we're going to close with this. It's Jesus' context of what's happening. And what's happening here is in Matthew 28. And in verse 16, it says, they met him on the mountain where they were told to go and meet him. And then in verse 17, it says, they worshiped him. They worshiped both the faith-filled and those who doubted. Let me tell you something real quick. Verse 16 said the 11 disciples. These are the people who followed Jesus, who were with Jesus. And then verse 17, they worshiped him, just like we have a worship service, just like our worship band is going to come up here in a second, and they're going to close out our service. Just the same type of worship, but let me tell you something about worship. It said, the faith-filled 
and those who doubted. It implies out of the 11 disciples, some were faith-filled and some had doubts. These are the ones who spent years with Jesus. These are the ones who saw him get raised from the dead and they still weren't all filled with faith. Some had doubts. And then we go to verse 18. Jesus confidently steps in and says, I have authority from heaven, and I'm going to share that authority with you. Why does he do that? I believe he does that because he felt the room. He felt there was faith, and there was doubt, and he had to bring some confidence that all authority in heaven has been given to me, and I'm about to give it to you. And then verse 19, therefore go and make disciples to the faith-filled and those with doubt. When he said go, he said to the ones who had faith, And he also said to the ones who had doubt. He didn't say, now those of you who have faith, I'm talking to you. And those of you who have doubt, you know, do I need to stay here longer until you're faith filled? No, he said it to both. Go and make disciples. And then verse 20, he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I truly believe that Jesus didn't say this for the faith filled. He said it for the ones who were doubting him in the moment. It's okay. I'm with you in your doubt. Because this will turn into a season of faith. And he also said it because those who had faith, they were going to have moments where they had doubts. How could Jesus do this? How could he give a great commission to those who have doubts? Because he knew when he left, they saw the miracles. They experienced life change. And they remembered the upper room. The upper room where he took the bread and he took the cup and he broke the bread. And he says, when you get together, remember me. Remember me. Remember my body broken. And when you take the cup, remember my blood shed for you. And he knew that even though some had faith and some had doubt when he was going away, that they were going to remember the work he did on the cross. Embrace your doubt. Do something with it. Embrace your faith because doubts will come. God's no respecter of person. Our job is to not run away from doubt, but to embrace it and to leave it at the feet of the Father. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.